If you've been told to pull up your socks recently, then make sure it's a pair of RCR socks. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash shop. You're on Reality Check Radio. Uh, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Excited plus me. Couldn't be more excited because we're talking about one of my favorite topics, Western A. Price, and we're talking with Phyllis Titchenen. Good morning, Phyllis. Good morning, Rodney. Thanks oh, for- my goodness. Oh, no, it's utterly a pleasure because this is just, to me, an amazing topic. And to read Western A. Price's work was, for me, one of those great big reveals. You can't you can't look at those pictures and understand the depth and breadth and science integrity of his research from the 1930s without it completely, you know, drop kicking you into a paradigm shift in terms of what it means to truly be healthy and what we need to do to get there in terms of our nutrition, what we put into our mouths. And he had that window of opportunity Mm. in the 1930s when he and his good wife could travel the world because aircraft and cameras were available and yet still visit traditional populations living as they had done for centuries all around the world and can compare them to their compatriots who had swapped a traditional lifestyle for the modern food. Mm -hmm. And it's those pictures. And, of course, once you've looked at his book, all modern nutrition and dietary experts fall aside Mm. because his empirical study with the control group is second to none. Yeah, absolutely. He was, I think we, we tend to skate over the fact that he had amazing credentials, not only as a dentist, and dentists in those times were trained as doctors. You just got to go through med school, and then you became a dentist. Oh, I didn't um, know that. I didn't. Yeah, know that, that used to be the model. Wow. Um, and so he was the president of the American Dental Association yes. for a long time, head of the American Dental Association laboratory with yes. you know, something like seventy technicians working on projects to look at um, dental health because they were starting to see all of this deterioration in not only overall human health, but dental health, more crooked teeth, more cavities. And he became a dentist like in the 1880s or 90s. So he saw a progressive deterioration in his career, was an expert researcher And when he should have retired, so to speak, he just really dived into that whole 10 or 12 years of intensive travel and documentation in ways, as you mentioned, we can't reproduce that now because the control is gone. But to have the foresight at that time to take food samples and have them transported back to the U.S. 
in the most sophisticated labs, analyze them, do anthropological studies like what mm. do you eat? Why do you eat it? Do complete medical histories, dental records, and then go um, and do the same thing where members of the same tribe or family that had been isolated and only eating their traditional diets to then go and analyze what other members of their family or tribe who recently moved to what he called the white man's foods of, you know, mm. corrupting, corrupting foods of modern commerce to be able to compare even within the same generation the deterioration in dental health facial structure and overall you know metabolic health was just stunning stuff and while his book is old while his book is big it's eminently readable yeah and eminently unputdownable mm -hmm. Because a, a whole lot of reasons, because yeah. the trips themselves mm. and the places they go are so remarkable. And he makes you think about things that you've never actually thought about, but are so obvious. Why is it that human beings have rotten, crooked teeth? <laughs> because yeah. you can't survive in the wild with rotten, crooked teeth, or and kids buckling teeth. You don't see dogs with buckled teeth. And and when you see, and this is what he picked up on, wasn't it? Yeah. Native, I say that word native, it sounds derogatory these days, indigenous peoples mm -hmm. and these men, women, and children have these most beautiful White teeth, teeth fitting in their jaws, brilliant smiles, mm -hmm. living in abject poverty to us, but they are so healthy. And he wondered why. Yeah. He came to New Zealand, went up the East Coast mm -hmm. uh, with the help of Upper, Sir Aparana Nata. Nata, yep. And he analyzed what traditional. Mary's still living traditionally eating, and he went to the Auckland Museum, mm -hmm. and I can't remember the numbers. He looked at like 500 skulls or 200 skulls or 60 skulls, a lot of skulls, and found two cavities. And so most Mary died of old age without having one cavity. Yeah. And broad dental arches. Mm. which enabled them to have really generous smiles. And what's amazing is you dig a little deeper and the the dental arch, you know, the width of our gums in effect, so that all of our teeth, including our wisdom teeth, can actually fit in our jaw, um, that we have space for all of that, is determined by prenatal nutrition, whether our mothers and fathers we're getting enough fat-soluble vitamins to be able to lay down the, the adequate or the optimal amount of bone in, in the womb um, to be able to have broad faces so we could have wide arches 
so that all of our teeth could fit in without being crooked or without being compacted or impacted. So that's just the most visible manifestation Mm. of that need for fat-soluble vitamins. It also, this is important, impacts our lung capacity and things like the width or the diameter of the female pelvis. Mm-hmm. So things like asthma, reduced um, respiratory capacity, C-sections, those sorts of things are relatable to the nutrition of our parents. And there, we can do something about that. Those people who are of childbearing age absolutely can alter for the good the the life of their children yet to come. And boy, do we need it because we have an epidemic of chronic disease affecting younger and younger people. Show me children who don't either, are either born tongue-dyed, have some kind of visible birth defect in the United States. It's one quarter of the children born have visible birth defects at birth. Um, It affects, I mean, we think it's normal for children to be wearing glasses or to get braces. It's not. It's a sign of ill health. It's astonishing. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it makes you angry and upset. Um, It's interesting, too, do you think, that almost our definition of attractiveness has become deformed? Oh, yes. Because we sort of like a lady to have a narrow jaw. Um, I saw, this is a little obscure, Rodney, but it always comes to mind. I saw a study in a book, oh, probably almost two decades ago, in which they took, they tested the attention span of kids who were sort of six to nine months old. They were just at the sitting up, paying attention to the world stage, and they did little timed videos of them looking at how long would they look at two different female faces, okay? Mm -hmm. Which ones did they pay more attention to, look at longer, read, were more attracted to? Um, People who had narrow, women who had narrow jaws and who were, you know, decent enough looking by our standards, and then women who had measurably wider jaws um, and sort of rounder or squarer faces. And absolutely consistently, those babies were spent more time, were mesmerized, attracted to women with broader faces. And you think, wow. Because they are selected to be attracted to good health. Be attracted to possible mates with good health. Yes. So there's there it gets really deep really fast, but really deep. And and the same with bottoms. Bottoms, did you say? Yeah. Like um narrow hips are a problem. The twiggy the twiggies of this world Mm. aren't built for childbirth necessarily. No, they're not. Remember that used to be um sort of a um uh, a concerned mother asking her son, some woman she he was attracted to, but does she have good broad hips? You know, yeah, 
Yeah, be that was a thing. Yeah, that's the old yeah. traditional mother yeah. meme. Yeah, they they be- knew because uh, you would maybe die in childbirth. Um, half our listeners won't know who Twiggy is, or I wonder if she. I think she passed away recently. Did I get that right? I don't know. Okay. Tell me this. Yes. If you were, we've got a lot of time because I think this is one of the crucial things for health and wellness. And we have such a great opportunity here in New Zealand with our pasture fed animals. But it's tough for people because years and years and then years of faulty nutritional advice by experts have taught the complete opposite. Animal fat, saturated, bad, full stop. Eat eat, eat um, highly refined carbohydrates, healthy. Kellogg's Sanitarium. Oh, so healthy. Eggs and bacon kill you when it's the reverse. Butter. Oh, terrible. Eat hydrogenated vegetable fats, Marjorie. This is such terrible advice. So contrary to the human health and how we've lived for centuries, for people not familiar with it, it's like you're mad. How do you approach explaining to someone why everything they know about nutrition and health without sounding arrogant, is wrong. Or a conspiracy theorist. Um, yes. Put my hand up. Um, Me too. <laughs> um, in, more ways than, in, in more ways than one. And much, I joke much that it... back beyond before, yes. you know, COVID came on um, to, be, to be the bully on the media street. Um, I think the first thing with most people is you need they need to understand or they need to have a perception of a breakdown a problem a collapse of function if you will in their lives or their futures in order to rattle or shake them out of their mental groove or complacency about health and about the messages we've received all our lives about what is a healthy diet. And part of that is shaking us loose of the impression that the medical training of doctors has anything really um, worthwhile or scientifically grounded when it comes to education on nutrition. Doctors just don't know. They will parrot basically the diet heart hypothesis, which in effect says chronic heart disease, you know, atherosclerosis, heart attacks, um, blockages, those sorts of things are caused by, just in simple terms, saturated animal fat, too much cholesterol. Just to make it really simple, the books were cooked on that by someone named Dr. Ansel Keys, 
who was a biochemist. He wasn't a medical doctor. He wasn't even an epidemiologist. He really had very little training in nutrition, but he got stuck into this notion that Mediterranean cultures post-World War II were extra healthy because they were eating no animal fat. There's a whole reason why they didn't have any animal fat to eat in Crete post-World War II. And, but he was quite a bullying personality, and he, he just was. thought he was onto something great. He took what they called the 22 countries data, and he cherry-picked that data down to six countries that would give him a straightish line indicating that the more saturated animal fat you ate, the more heart disease there was in those countries. However, when you put all 22 countries onto a chart, there's no correlation. So he, he, he was unscientific. He selected data, and then he drove that agenda into the medical um, literature um, in order, well, with the help of the sugar industry, the food processing industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and eventually with big ag and ag chemical industries, helping drive that agenda and the food processing industry, the likes of it, our food giants. It is. A shocking story of scientific corruption. Yeah, I would corruption. I would I would recommend one particular book on that topic of what the the unvarnished science based but still very readable by a New York Times investigative journalist um, Nina Teichholz and her book The Big Fat Surprise. Excellent dive into all of the ins and outs of the history of how we came to demonize cholesterol and animal fats. And the result is we have more health problems than we did when this whole bandwagon kicked off in the 50s and 60s. So, you know, how can, if we're having more heart problems, how is it that you know a limit we, we've all reduced our fat consumption over the last 40 to 50 years but it hasn't made a dent in heart disease and all of the other chronic illnesses are only getting worse so reducing our cholesterol is clearly not the answer plus frankly statins kill yes so we had I, no child obesity mm -hmm. When we were kids, now it's chronic. Now it's chronic. There are some really chilling statistics, admittedly, out of the United States, but our situation here in New Zealand is very similar. We have a similar medical system, similar diets. And uh, it used to be in the 1970s, the good old CDC statistics were that approximately 6% of the adult population had some form of chronic inflammatory disorder. So cancer, heart disease, allergies, those sorts of things. 6% of adults. In 19, 2017, it was closer to 50% of the grade school children were on some form of medication for chronic inflammatory no. disorder. 
Yes. And this was a crime that Western A. Price spotted for us ahead of the crime. Yes. Yeah. We separately would have become awakened to it. And COVID was just another variation. And we came into COVID, most of us, with impoverished immune systems battling some form of chronic inflammation already, which would have been heightened by the the experimental jab, GMO, for want of a better term, protein to prompt more inflammation. Mm. Bad juju. It's a good approximation to living healthy to think about nana and great nana Mm -hmm. yeah i like the expression never eat anything that your great grandmother wouldn't have immediately recognized as food yeah and because she ate like generations ate Mm -hmm. and we came along with the pharmaceutical industry, with the supermarkets, with, our nanas wouldn't have imagined this, industrial food mm-hmm. where you buy food in a box. And it's got the heart healthy tick on it. And it's got someone running a marathon or an Ironman on the front. So eat this box. The story, I've, I had read all the stuff and I got so into it. Now it's all flooding back. You know, hydrog- the phrases, hydrogenated fats, mm-hmm. this fructose sugar, and how the Kellogg's and sanitarium took a rubbish food, a waste food, and turned it into the breakfast of choice and made it a healthy breakfast and pushed aside eggs and bacon for this highly processed rubbish it's it is empty, it, empty it, calories it's a em, it's a negative it's for a negative our food. bodies to eat processed grains like that in almost any form there's so, they're they're dead there's no enzymes there are no fat soluble vitamins and a lot of the goodness that's touted on the label is through fortification in quotes they're adding synthetic um folate or iron or things into it to to boost its nutrition. And that's because there's pretty much none in there. You're eating cardboard, in effect, processed cardboard, the equivalent of cardboard. And again, it's terrible. We don't want to sound like proselytizers and we don't want to sound like we know best and other people don't. But we've all been on a voyage of discovery. Um, Tell us how you came across Western A. Price. Well, I I need to give credit to my mother. I think I was pre-programmed in the womb, so to speak. My mother, post-World War II in California, was a devotee, if you will, of um, Dr. Adele Davis, who was a nutritionist, wrote several books and was sort of you know, moderately popular in that post-war period um, in terms of nutrition. And this was when when 
a lot of um, the initial food processing started. You know, you started to move, we were moving towards TV dinners and processed packaged foods and canned foods, pre-bottled processed foods. My mother uh, refused to go there. She'd read Adele Davis's books, Let's Be Healthy, Let's Have Healthy Children. And as a result, um, we had a cow. I had raw milk as a child. Um, we killed our own beef. I we didn't buy processed food. I think the more processed packaged food we bought would have been spaghetti or something like mm. that. Um, we had a vegetable garden, and I was always ashamed of my lunches when I went to school because I had weird stuff, you know, wholemeal bread instead of white rainbow builds bodies 12 ways, none of these prepackaged hostess Twinkie things that were laden with sugar. And it, you know, it, was, it was a stigma to me at the time, and I am so grateful now. So I grew up basically without much processed food, and always nutrition has been a consideration for me. The only thing I would fault my mother on, there were six of us on one, my father's salary. So butter was a little bit, even at that time, beyond um, the diet. We, we would have gone through a lot of butter. So instead, we had margarine. But mm. once I came across Weston A. Price's readings in, in the early 2000s, you know, everything came together for me. And I stopped trying to, you know, limit my salt intake or, um, you know, cook in olive oil or things like, or even occasionally I'd been in using soy oil. So it was, for me, it was a revelation. It was like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're eating nose to tail and it dovetailed with, you know, around that period, I um, got back into my soil science background and learned a great deal more about biological agriculture and the links between healthy soil and nutrient-dense food and how it's just about impossible to get high vitamin mineral content, nutrient-dense food in a conventional agricultural system where you are nuking the soil, the crucial soil microbes um, that do all the nutrient transfer. Um, so, you know, it, it does for me, it, it led right into my career in soil consulting, farm consulting to get nutrient density, to move towards an organic status, or at least to be farming for a living landscape without the use of synthetics many of which are, most all of which, absolutely are connected to the agrochemical industry, which is very closely linked to the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. So, you, you know, you, you keep looking, which is connected to the medical industry, you keep looking. It's very circular. It's a very incestuous, if you will, effort to garner incredibly obscene profits at the expense not only of the environment and our water quality but our health and our ability to think accurately and to have beautiful healthy intelligent children who so you well came across you came across western a price work in the early 2000s yes what prompted that how did that come about you were living in new zealand 
I was living in New Zealand. I'd lived in New Zealand since the later 80s. And, you know, frankly, I can't remember precisely how it happened. I just had heard it once or twice and then decided, yeah, I need to find out more about this. Nutrition is very important to me. And it definitely blew my doors off. Isn't that extraordinary? So you were already predisposed to it because all your life, nutrition was important. So it's not like, oh, you just eat for, you know, my dad, my mother was very good with us, but my dad was, you eat, you know, you eat for fuel um, to get through the day and, you know, chomp it down. But my mother was very good with our diet, um, our nutrition. But here was you up to speed on it, a soil scientist, mm-hmm. came across Western A. Price. Did you read his original work or did you read someone who wrote about his original work? I first read someone who wrote about him, Sally Fallon, who the oh, Western A. Price found amazing. And um, she's a good American girl the... who's married a good mm-hmm. Kiwi. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, two in a row. So, in a and row. then and then I I read I've read several times his his work, his tome, um, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, which, by the way, you can ferret out, download um, online, maybe even from the Weston A. Price Foundation website. There is a PDF, an ebook, well worth downloading, even just Googling the photos. There they are the you know, the picture is a thousand words. That mm. is never truer, I think, than anything than those photos. You came across it and it blew your doors off, to quote you. Why? Um, I, my background is in soil science and environmental management slash policy. And most of the, the professional jobs I held before, you know, becoming a mother were in science policy or environmental policy analysis and implementation for the California state government where I was living. So I like to look at things from a scientific perspective. And uh, for me, that first step has always been, first you follow the money. Who wrote the study? That kind of thing. Who's paying for this? And how accurate and unbiased can I expect the research to be? Having satisfied that, um, I really enjoy the the linkages that happen when um, someone the likes of Weston A. Price's stature pulls anthropology, nutrition, soil health, um, and human health and community dynamics together in one one framework, which is which is what he did. It was truly, truly amazing. It's a for me, it was a pathway that linked my interest in soils and my dedication to nutrient-dense agriculture and human health all together with the science rationale behind it. His his discussion of the critical importance of the very things that we have been taught, you know, pushed into avoiding all of the sources of fat-soluble vitamin A and D and K2, when you realize the extent of the 
deception, for want of a better word, um, it it dedic- made me dedicate myself to combining, you know, soil science, consulting, and helping farmers to understand the importance of their role in human health, mm. not just animal health or soil health. Those things are all linked. Um, did you change your lifestyle finishing the book? Um, not immediately, but ultimately, yes. I went back into active farming and had the had a property um, outside of Havelock North and did, you know, experiments for want of a better term on creating nutrient dense pastures and a variety of animals and um, just experiments with how to raise the most the most healthy, most marbled um, beef and and dairy meat that we could hope to hope to generate so that we actually have the most nutrient dense high fat soluble vitamin content uh, butter cream organ meat and and beef the it's hard to have this discussion in many ways for outsiders to overhear and listen in on because we are cultish in a way, aren't we, with so many little triggers. And for someone who's not aware of this magnificent work, it's impossible to process, literally, unless you've seriously looked at the book. But there's a couple of things that stood out for me in his book. His first place that he visited was an ice, he and his wife, was an isolated village in the Swiss Alps that hitherto was several days' walk to get to. But a new road had gone in, and they could do a leisurely drive and walk up to this village. These these villages had been isolated from the rest of the world by these deep valleys and had defended their valley because they had a natural fortification. And they lived, funny enough, they didn't eat a lot of meat, but they ate a lot of milk and cheese. And he and his wife were just astonished by their rude good health. And he were measuring their jaw dimensions and recording their teeth. And this was a bit that shocked me. He could look at an adult who might be 50, 60 years old, and he could say, oh, have you been away? And they would have had this village supplied the Swiss guards that guarded the Pope. And he could tell that they had had a year or two away in Rome because they had a a spot of tooth decay. Wasn't that astonishing? It was. He, he, uh, he his stories of Two things stood out for me that, you know, he would do dental examinations of everyone in the village and record all of that. And he found things like one to two to three cavities per thousand teeth, maybe. And none of them. A thousand teeth. Yeah. A thousand teeth. teeth. Yeah. Plus, 
he they you know th- these kids were alpine elevations the kids were running around barefoot all the time in and out of freezing streams um as you said rude good health and what struck a chord with me was as you mentioned they had a really fairly limited uh diet you know they had um sourdough rye bread that they aged for a month uh, and they had lots of cheese and they had greens when they were available meat um, but they considered this 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 is bells and whistles for me they knew that when they took when spring came they would move their cows up to the higher now defrosted if you will snow free higher alpine meadows with this natural diversity of unfertilized unsprayed pastures and that early milk was considered literally sacred that they would bring mm-hmm. those first milk the cream from those first milkings back down from the meadows where the cows were make butter out, out of it and there was a special service in the church with a bowl of this lit, bright, deep orange, high vitamin A and D, K2, conjugated linoleic acid, nutrition-packed butter, which was blessed and, in effect, reserved for those people in the population who were most vulnerable or most needed it. The pregnant um, women, the young children, and the elderly, who for whom it was considered medicinal. Isn't that a beautiful story? And they knew it. They intuitively knew it in their in their bodies that this was the most sacred and powerful food in their environment that their environment gave them. And they he traveled to was it the inner or outer Hebrides? Mm-hmm. Of Scotland, outer probably, yep. And there was a village where, contrary to the Swiss, they lived on fish. Again, tuberculosis unseen, respiratory diseases unseen, heart problems unseen, tooth decay unseen. He literally travelled ten. I can't remember whether he recorded it as miles. I suppose he did. I think it was like 10 miles to the nearby village that had opened up as a port and white flour and sugar were arriving and they had all the diseases of Western civilization. And it can happen quickly. It surprised Mm -hmm. me that within the same generation, say, a family moving from a remote tribal situation where they weren't receiving any form of processed foods, corrupting foods of modern commerce, as Price called them, and when they moved down, as you said, to the port, the next children that were born in that family would have narrower jaws, they would have you know, turned out or turned in feet, those sorts of minor but 
but noticeable and important deterioration in bone structure and facial facial width. And of course, the devastation to Maori. Mm. Smoking and alcohol were bad, but possibly quite worse was what Europeans bought by way of food. Yes. Because yes. you went from I because of Western A Price, I went back and I read the original diaries of the mm. early explorers, Banks, yeah. Joseph Banks, and someone else. And I pulled out everything that they observed of the health mm -hmm. of Maori. Yeah. They regarded them as the healthiest people they'd ever seen on earth. Yes. There's there's an excellent quote on that that I'm probably not going to be able to find, but I saved it. It was so uh, telling. And it basically said... Oh, here it is. Sorry. Come on. Can I read it for you, Mount? It's like Please. two short paragraphs. Quote, this is from Weston A. Price, 1930, after his visit to East Coast um, Maori settlements and comparing that, for example, with um, children who were in uh, boarding school in Napier. Quote, the Maori race developed a knowledge of nature's laws and adopted a system of living in harmony with those laws to so high a degree that they were able to build what was reported by early scientists to be the most physically perfect race living on the face of the earth. They accomplished this largely through diet and a system of social organization designed to provide a high degree of perfection in their offspring. To do this, they utilized foods from the sea very liberally. The fact that they were able to maintain an immunity to dental caries so high that only one tooth in 2000 had been attacked by tooth decay, and, the, and then parentheses, which is probably as high a degree of immunity as that of any contemporary race, I'd probably say more, is a strong argument in favor of their plan of life. Dr. Weston A. Price, 1939. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. And Joseph Banks, when that Maori canoed out, they were astonished because they could judge the ages of them and they would find 60 and 70 year old men handling these canoes like they were 26 year olds and of course within a generation that health was lost mm -hmm. and they had no if you like immunity to alcohol tobacco sugar and flour and possibly um, to devastating effects through to this day. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the colonialism; it was the damn food. Yeah. Um, it's a remarkable story. Now, correct me if I've got this wrong. It's my memory that Western A. Price lost a son to tooth decay. He lost a son 
yes, around to tooth decay, specifically to a root canal um, restoration, if you will. He had tooth decay. It got into his jaw. And even back like in the 1920s, 1910s, not sure of the date, they were doing root canals at that stage. I suspect that Weston A. Price gave his son the root canal that several months later killed him. So I that prompted Weston A. Price to do multiple years of extensive um, research through the American Dental Association laboratories on root canals. And what he found was that in every single root canal tissue that he examined, there were serious high-level bacterial infections with astonishingly powerful anaerobic toxins coming out of those infections. So that has not been refuted to this day. So it is definitely a clarion call to people to look after your teeth so they'll never be false to you, which starts with a good diet. But particularly if, if confronted with the suggestion that you get a root canal, don't do it. He um, And, of course, those populations that he was visiting weren't brushing their teeth three times a day. No. No. With toothpaste. No. Well, toothpaste gets a bum, you know, a bum review from me. I mean, we, yeah. we need to understand that we have ample proof that simply brushing your teeth with toothpaste is not going to prevent tooth decay. It, it's much more complex than that. And it starts with high quality um, bone tissue, for example, which really requires high levels of those fat-soluble vitamins A, D, and K2 and minerals um, in in the diet to actually form uh, tooth tissue, if you will, that functions properly, has a good flow of nutrition through the dental tubules that are just part of our teeth, um, and that we have good oral microbiome, that we have Mm. good entire gut and mouth microbiome as well. And that's very challenging to do in these days where it's heavy on the antibiotics and pharmaceutical drugs, none of which are friendly to good gut health. Am I also correct in my understanding that Western A. Price trialed and tested, taking children particularly with cavities, giving them a good diet, in particular that fortified butter, and I'm trying to think some other oil. Cod liver oil. Cod liver oil, yes, indeed. Thank you for that. And the body oftentimes could repair the cavity. Yes. Yes. Isn't that astonishing? Mm. 
This is where the sufficiency, this is where nutrient-dense food is so important. Because if we don't have the building blocks, the mineral content, magnesium, you know, calcium, phosphorus, and all the trace elements in our food from the get-go that hasn't been processed out, we're never going to be able to have the structural or the tissue integrity to function optimally. And that includes the integrity of our teeth and whether or not we're supporting you know, and feeding good bugs in our, you know, a balance and a diverse microbiome in our mouth, which is what, you know, naturally we should have. So this is, this is the, again, that link up back with how we do agriculture. It yes. is not possible to have optimal nutrient density. So vitamin and mineral contents, elevated vitamin A, B, C, all of the vitamins, all minerals simply can't be there in plants when we don't, when we use synthetic fertilizers, when we use in particular just about any form of pesticide, all of which are biocides. They nuke the very soil and plant microbiomes. So the bugs, the good bugs that are needed in order for that soil and that plant to actually absorb and incorporate all of the vitamins and minerals and structures that they're meant to have genetically. They, they mm. can't do it, which is where what, what Weston A. Price found. This is the part that really blew me away, Rodney. He tested, he brought back samples of all of those foods from the 14 or 15 different places he went around the world. He took them back to that amazing laboratory that he was the head of at the time and had them chemically tested and compared them to food samples from his upper middle class Cincinnati, Ohio dental clients, right? His patients. He did took the modern foods in the 1930s which, you know, at that stage, you could buy anything you wanted, you know, it was pretty much unprocessed. And he found that the average of the foods from, you know, Cincinnati, from the United States, and the average of the foods that he collected from, in quotes, primitive people, diets around the world, and the primitive people had four times more mineral content in the food basket that they were eating and 10 times more fat-soluble vitamin A and D than the the richest, most well-fed people on the planet at that stage. My goodness. And is it my end? Sorry. mm -hmm. I'm just going to say that, I mean, the final, oh my gosh, is... We have statistics from the 1930s and 40s from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They've been doing this breadbasket sample of what's the vitamin and mineral content of foods for decades. And between 1930 and 1990, across the board, we've had massive declines in in the amount of vitamin and mineral food in staple foods. You you name it, broccoli, flour bananas, apples, anything, we've experienced, we've gone, we've dropped 
you know, anywhere between 30 to, in some cases, 90% of the vitamin and mineral content of our staple foods in just that time period. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to um, Western A. Price uh, devotee, uh, Phyllis Tichinen. Uh, oh, my goodness, this is so wonderful. Am I cor- There's a lot of things I need to test with you, Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in saying that modern soil science, and I put that in quotes, is regards soil as an inert material to hold up a plant, and all you need is nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and that's what you measure, and I guess maybe your pH and moisture. Is that literally how they regard soil? Am I oversimplifying it? Um, that is simplified, but that's the basics of it. Um, it's getting better. You know, full credit, there are more and more farmers and more ag consultants who are beginning to realize, like we're realizing with our own microbiome, that biology yes. is an important aspect of how soil functions to grow crops. And that's positive, and that, but and that we have a waste of and that the soil is an ecosystem Absolutely. of microbes working in symbiosis with plants, ensuring that they are taking the nutrients out. And of course, here in our own bodies, we're chock-a-block full of microorganisms, bacteria and yeasts. And a lot of the diseases that we hear about are are problems of what do you call it a dis dis something dysbiosis 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 where uh you've been cleaned out of the good bugs and the bad bugs have taken over you can't digest food properly uh getting good bugs back into your system is vital to good health because those good bugs don't just help with your digestion and critical to digestion as I understand it, Phyllis, they're part of your hormonal system and your brain function. Yes. And your emotions. Isn't that extraordinary? And it your is. emotions. Yep. Really simply, there is a nerve called the vagus nerve that goes from our gut, you know, up up our sort of the right and left sides of our body, up our necks and behind our ears, into our brain. And they are quite convinced that literally that is not only a, ner- a major nerve conduit for signals um, from our brain to our gut, but from the microbes in our gut back up to our brain, literally in the form of traveling microbes. So it's crazy? marvelously complex, but we are absolutely dominated by our um, microbial communities and they do not respond just like the microbes in the soil they do not respond well to disinfectants um, antibiotics um, or any form of biocide and that includes all of the pesticides Mm. remember i say biocides because i want it to be inclusive remember of everything of everything well people will say well there there you know some pesticides are okay I mean, yeah, some we need more than others. Some, like many of the herbicides, it's just habit, practice, aesthetics. We don't like the look of weeds, what have you. But 
ultimately all of those synthetic compounds and even some natural ones that will kill bacteria through damaging cells are biocides. They kill life. And the thing we tend to lose sight of is that for many of the things that are killed by the pesticides we routinely use in agriculture have the same cell structure as we do. They have a cell, elective cell wall, they have cytoplasm, they have a nucleus, they have mitochondria, and those are the things that pesticides attack, if you will, or disable. So why would we think that any of those compounds that kill life and damage cells that are pretty much identical to ours would not also be harmful in the long run to us, even at small doses, which is why, yeah. We just need to remind ourselves of that scientific expert, Saucy Wiles, uh, with the pink hair telling us, oh no, you take the jab and it just stays in your arm and just breaks down in a day or so, so confidently, right? And then they're saying, oh no, we apply these biocides to the soil and they just kill the things we want to kill. And then they just break down, down. and it's all good and you will be fine. Is it my understanding correct? Because I tell these stories and you know how sometimes you think, oh, I I couldn't put my finger on this if I was told to, but it's in my head. That Western A. Price, my hero, one of my great heroes, he and his wife, I always mention his wife because she was by his side all the way through. Absolute heroes. And a beautiful book, not hard work to read, unputdownable. When he presented his results to the dental profession, being the head researcher, suggesting that your best thing that you could do for your patients wasn't to drill teeth willy-nilly for cavities, undertake root canal, but rather in the first instance, give them good nutrition first, and that they had a vote, and that was voted down. Do you know that story? I don't know that story. However, it fits the pattern. It fits the pattern. You, we he see was that you know, now. Here he was, mind-blowing research, documented, absolutely ignored, never followed, and indeed, with Ansel Keys, in the 50s and 60s, taking center stage, totally destroyed. This may sound um, a little squidgy, for want of a better term, but I mean, we need to look, we need to remember that the quality of the fat that we consume becomes the quality of the crucial phospholipids, lipids being fat. So phospholipid is the name of the fats that create a bilayer, a two-layer part that is our cell membrane. 
my cell membrane is crucial for functioning of all cells, letting things in and out, food in, you know, toxins out. And it's our major antenna, if you will, transmitter for communication between cells. Okay. So that phospholipid bilayer is evolutionarily meant to be high vitamin A, D, K2, um, quality saturated animal fat. That's the way we're evolved. That's what our bodies have been functioning on since the Paleolithic. Now, when you replace that lipid bilayer with plastic fats, fake fats, vegetable oil fats, so corn, soy, canola, rice bran, those kinds of highly processed, highly sprayed um, and vegetable toxic. oil and toxic vegetable GMO and toxic um, vegetable oils, you completely disrupt um, cell membrane function. You are you are creating insulators and you're disrupting the ability of food to go in and toxins to go out. So we're aging our cells and our cells aren't then communicating with each other properly because they've got this plastic veil around them and the messages aren't getting through properly. The result of that is a large contribution to most of the chronic inflammatory disorders that we have. So my suggestion to everyone is stop demonizing cholesterol. We absolutely mm. rely on cholesterol, as you mentioned, for our all of our hormone formation, male and female, our cell wall structure and ability to communicate, um, and for brain function, for coding our nerve synapses, for feeding our good gut microbes, for internal bandages, all of those things cholesterol do. And we need more cholesterol as we age, not less. And yet, not only are we told to eat margarine and only cook in canola oil, for example, you know, we we have cholesterol lowering drugs pushed on us, which have oh got has to be one of the greater medical warts um after COVID injections. Um, that we've experienced as a species. This is an incredibly destructive um, process with lots and lots of side effects. And they've cooked the books on, cooked the um, books. and you just have to keep remembering that. Like those those dentists who rejected um, Weston A. Price's science back in the 30s and 40s, they were already you know, eating less saturated animal fat. They were eating cottonseed oil, which is toxic. They've had, we've had 20 or 30 years of it by then in the American diet. And that stuff makes you think funny. So it, once again, it gets back to follow the money. Who, you know, if, if we can remain functioning, but somewhat ill and on a lot of supplements or drugs, that makes a lot of money for a whole range of industries or interests, pharmaceutical interests, egg chemical interests, processed food interests. 
we we just need to understand that natural is much much better. We really need to get taste um, and nutrition back into our food and a whole bunch more butter. And the interesting thing is, Phyllis, is for mums and dads listening, and nannas and granddads, for yourself and for your children and your grandchildren, you don't have to rush out and start living in an organic farm and having a cow. Anywhere in New Zealand, you can get good eggs, you can get good butter, you can probably get raw milk if you scout around, and then throw away the vegetable oils. Don't even wait till you finish them. Take them out to the tip. Use animal fat yep. at every opportunity and butter. And cook wholesome food, not in a box. Um, and my special favorite fur is and bone broth. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And you can make bone broth in your sauces. You can just take it as a sauce on your dinner and once you start making bone broth on a regular fashion which is very easy to do yeah. um the flavor and the fulsomeness and by bone broth phyllis and i are talking about getting the minerals and the fat from uh what's it called in the the marrow um and making beautiful rich gravies and oh that is nutrition to, to die for um, lots of collagen, lots of um, yes. bone-based minerals, yes. and we we have to stop being fat phobic. One of the things I think yes. that is astonishingly um, harmful to the point of being ridiculous is that we we spend all of this money, all of this fuel, importing killer vegetable oils in New Zealand in order to be in quotes heart healthy and at the same time we have all of this amazing dairy beef and sheep and pig mm -hmm. fat that is being you know that has the uh, the abattoirs in effect they're not putting it into pet food they you know they have to pay someone to haul it away mm. what that we is are... what we need for health we, we're rolling you... in it and we're not using it and New Zealand is a paradise if you're a Western A pricer. Absolutely. Because you do, I don't know of a better place where you can, in any part of New Zealand, you can literally overnight change your diet. And I promise you, when I changed my diet, I thought better. My mind cleared. I could lose weight. Mm -hmm. um, I could sleep better i had more energy my emotions uh were more even all these things mm -hmm. i discovered as literally in my i think in my late 40s and then uh i my wife hates it when i tell personal stories um my wife was a professional sportswoman she was following Closely, they had their own nutritionist, taught them nonsense. She was completely depleted. I just about had to get a gun out to have her eat butter, eggs, and bacon 
because she thought she was killing herself and she wanted to eat low-fat yogurt and white toast with margarine, her health transformed itself. And we fortunately got onto Western A Price before the birth of our three children and three healthy children who grew up Western A Price. And you can actually see the difference, I'm sad to say. You can see the difference. That's a wonderful testimonial, and it really fits the profile, absolutely. Mm. It's difficult to overemphasize the importance of fat-soluble vitamins. And yes. you know, people will say, well, I get my vitamin A, and I get my vitamin D from the sun. That's, we don't get enough of that. We don't, no. We're not out there naked most of the time. So mm. that's definitely not enough vitamin D to last us. And crucial, vitamin A, people will say, well, I eat lots of carrots or I take vitamin A tablets or I get it in the beta carotene. It is not the same thing. You really need to have the actual natural vitamin A retinol that only happens in mostly ruminant saturated animal fat. Yes, in fish, cod liver oil, it's a really excellent thing to take if it is really high quality unfortunately expensive cod liver oil that you keep in the refrigerator but we can get you know excellent nutrition from our fats what i would like to see i would like to see if the government is really going to get serious about health in new zealand maybe we could work out some kind of subsidy if you will to keep the price of butter way down half mm. or a quarter of what it mm. is now that would how much butter do you put on things lots i yeah. aim for at least a quarter of a cup of butter a day preferably a half a cup if i don't see a teeth teeth mark on my sandwich it's not enough butter <laughs> absolutely. absolutely oh phyllis it's wonderful and for people that are new to this you're in for a treat uh, Sally Falloon's book, Nourishing Traditions, is a must. It's a cookbook, but it's a cookbook with an explanation for why you cook like this. So it's an introduction to Western A Prize. We've had Sally Falloon on, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, and also Google Western A Prize PDF, download his book, and you can literally read it a chapter at a time because they're complete. Uh, on their travels, they'd go to one place, the Swiss, they'd go to New Zealand, they'd go to Florida and see people, Indians living uh, as they had lived for centuries and then compared to Indians that were living in the towns and the cities. Uh, it's a beautiful book to read and uh, you don't have to rush off and do all this complicated uh, living um, back to nature you simply have to make different food choices, which is hard because we've been so conditioned. And food and nutrition, it's a bit like religion and politics. They're hard to discuss and they're hard to change our minds about. Um, but the first step is to read. To education, it's, you know, it's one of these, don't take it personally, just get to the science, yeah. just read more extensively. 
look at the statistics, start to question, well, we've got such a great diet and we're, you know, comparatively wealthy. Um, why are our health statistics in the basement? Ultimately, you know, there's a lot of information out there. I recommend people go to the Weston A. Price Foundation website. Mm-hmm. All of the journals, excellent journals from the last 24 years are there for reading. It's 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 several university years worth of nutritional education in mm-hmm. on that website and and support. So I recommend subscribing to the journal and and accessing all of the resources that are online, including cooking videos and PDFs. They they have a very evolved education program. Highly recommended to everyone. And go home and pour those vegetable oils down the sink yeah. and get several, you know, kilos of butter in the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and um, the great thing is, even at you know fifty, change your diet. Oh, what a difference! Just the energy level sleeping. Oh, so much better. Phyllis, we've been for- talking to Phyllis Tichenin. Phyllis, I'd love to have you on again. Because... I'm happy to come back. Because we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to learn, a lot to discuss. And um, also, you become quite a good cook when you start cooking um, with animal fats. And in particular, I'm a devotee of Julia Childs. Much better flavor. Much better flavor with animal fats. So much better. You're a delight. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've been talking to Phyllis Titchenin. Oh, what a breath of fresh air. What an amazing story. I don't know how you vegetarians and vegans are feeling right now, um, but you'll feel a lot better uh, with a bit of bacon and some butter and raw milk. Uh, Oh, my goodness. I shouldn't have said that. Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. That's what we're called. Send me a text, 2057. Email me inbox at Radio. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now, they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.